and welcome to Always Responding, a podcast by first responders for first responders. I'm KB, a 20-year veteran of law enforcement. My partner, Sean, has some family issues he's taken care of, so he won't be joining us today. We wish Sean and his family the best and can't wait till he's able to come back with us here on the podcast. Like we say here on Always Responding, family will always come first, whether it's for this show or in your career. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken with over the years who say they wished they could go back and do things different. They wish they could spend more time with their wives, husbands, spend more time with their kids when they were young, go to their Little League games, go watch their daughters perform in their plays, but they let their job get in the way. They got consumed by what they did for a living instead of living for the ones who mattered the most their families. Listen, this career we all chose is difficult, stressful, and has the ability to at any point be our last shift. To all our fellow brother and sister first responders who are just starting out, when you feel the weight of this job getting to you, talk to someone. When you feel like you're alone, talk to someone. When you feel you can't go on, talk to someone. We are all going through the same stressful job. Some are able to hide the effects the stress has on them better than others. Believe me, we all wear the stress of this job. You're not alone. There are so many organizations out there that are willing and wanting to help. All you need to do is reach out and call or email them. You can find several of those organizations on our website at www.alwaysrespondingpodcast.com under the resource tab. You can also email us here at alwaysresponding at gmail.com if you have any questions. We are all in this together. We are losing our brother and sisters at an alarming rate to suicide. Right now, the number for suicide for police officers stands at 94. That's 94 of our fellow brother and sisters in blue who felt there was no help, no one to talk to, no one who understood their pain. There have been 12 firefighters, five correction officers, and one dispatcher commit suicide this year alone. These numbers can be found on the Blue Help website and are updated daily. The website breaks down the numbers into different categories like age, profession, if they were military veterans, etc. I strongly suggest you check the website out if you get a chance. It's very eye-opening. Once again, it's Blue Help website. You can also always call 988 the new Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. We just ask that if you are struggling and are needing help, please reach out. You're not alone. We are all in this together. We are all first responders, and we are always responding for each other. Another part of always responding is our tribute to the fallen heroes, those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice and were killed in the line of duty. Unfortunately, those numbers keep rising, and we are up to 169 law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty this year so far. I would now like to read a police officer prayer. It's called A Hero's Welcome by Robert Longley. Time to come home, dear brother. Your tour of duty through. You've given as much as anyone could be expected to do. Just a few steps further, the smoke will start to clear. Others here will guide you. You have no need to fear. You have not failed your brothers. You clearly gave it all. And through your selfless actions, others will hear the call. So take your place of honor among those who have gone before and know you will be remembered for now and evermore. We'll now read the names of the latest officers who have paid the ultimate sacrifice and were killed in the line of duty. Corporal Chad M. Beatty. Washington County Sheriff's Office, Pennsylvania. End of watch, Wednesday, August 10th. Corporal Chad Beatty suffered a fatal heart attack after a foot pursuit 
of a fleeing subject at 335 Washington Road in Washington at 1.48 p.m. Corporal Beatty responded to assist the South Strambane Township Police Department when they were alerted to the presence of a wanted suspect with outstanding warrants in multiple counties. After a foot pursuit through a retail store, Corporal Beatty returned to his patrol vehicle and collapsed. He was transported to the Washington Hospital where he passed away. Corporal Beatty had served with the Washington County Sheriff's Office for 20 years and was assigned to the fugitive unit. He is survived by his son and parents. He was 45 years old, 20 years with the department, badge 28. Deputy Sheriff Ned Bird, Wake County Sheriff's Office, North Carolina. End of watch Thursday, August 11th. Deputy Sheriff Ned Bird was shot and killed while on patrol shortly after 11 p.m. Deputy Bird was shot multiple times after he exited his vehicle at the intersection of Battle Bridge Road and Auburn Nightdale Road while investigating suspicious activity. He was in the area after the agency had received several calls regarding the activity. However, he had not marked out on an event when he was shot. Another deputy located him approximately two hours later. Deputy Bird's canine partner was still inside their patrol vehicle. The subject was arrested a week later. Deputy Bird was a U.S. Air Force veteran and had served with the Wake County Sheriff's Office for 13 years. He is survived by his canine partner, sister, brother-in-law, and four nephews. He was 48 years old, been with the department for 13 years, badge number 397, and was a military veteran. Police Officer Cesar Echeverry, Miami-Dade Police Department, Florida, end of watch Wednesday, August 17th. Police Officer Echeverry succumbed to gunshot wounds sustained two nights earlier at the intersection of Northwest 62nd Street and Northwest 7th Avenue while chasing a robbery suspect at 8.50 p.m. A vehicle that had been involved in an armed robbery in Dana Beach earlier in the evening was observed driving in Miami-Dade and fled when officers attempted to stop it. Officers pursued the vehicle until it crashed into a light pole. The driver exited the vehicle and fled on foot as Officer Echeverry and other officers pursued him on foot. The man opened fire, striking Officer Echeverry before he was killed by return fire. Officer Echeverry was transported to Jackson Memorial Hospital where he succumbed to his wounds the following evening. The second suspect in the initial robbery was shot and killed the following day as a SWAT team attempted to take him into custody at a local hotel. Officer Echeverry had served with the Miami-Dade Police Department for five years and was assigned to the robbery intervention detail. He was 29 years old, been with the department for five years, badge 6779. Captain William Riley Hargraves, Osage County Sheriff's Office, Oklahoma, end of watch Friday, August 19th. Captain Willie Hargraves was killed in a vehicle crash at the intersection of U.S. Highway 60 and State Highway 18 at about 8 a.m. He was traveling eastbound when another car entered the highway from a stop sign, causing the collision. Captain Hargraves' car struck a light pole after the initial collision. Captain Hargraves had served with the Osage County Sheriff's Office for 24 years. He is survived by his wife, three children, parents, and siblings. He was 44 years old, been with the department for 24 years, badge 104. Special Agent Jose Antonio Perez, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, Florida, end of watch Saturday, August 20th. Special Agent Jose Perez succumbed to injuries sustained in an automobile crash that occurred on August 2nd at the intersection of Northwest 127th Avenue and Northwest 7th Terrace in West Miami-Dade. He was responding to an alarm at the Florida Department of Law Enforcement's Miami Regional Operations Center when another car struck his department vehicle. He suffered serious injuries and was transported to a local hospital where he remained until succumbing to his injuries on August 20th. Special Agent Perez was a United States Marine Corps veteran and had served in law enforcement for 30 years. He joined the Florida Department of Law Enforcement after retiring from the Miami Police Department as an assistant chief. He was 55 years old, been with the department for 30 years, and was a military veteran. Police Officer Ivan Morico Lopez, Mount Vernon Police Department, Alabama, end of watch Monday, August 22nd. Police Officer Ivan Lopez was killed in a vehicle crash at the intersection of Alabama Highway 59 and County Road 36 in Somerdale at about 7.30 p.m. 
a pickup truck driving on County Road 36 ran a stop sign at approximately 90 miles an hour and struck Officer Lopez's patrol car, killing him instantly. The occupants of the other vehicle were injured in the crash. Officer Lopez had served with the Mount Vernon Police Department for 12 years. He is survived by his wife and two daughters. He was 50 years old, been with the department for 12 years, badge 305. Sergeant Robert Blaine Schwartz, Oklahoma County Sheriff's Office, Oklahoma. End of watch, Monday, August 22nd. Sergeant Bobby Schwartz was shot and killed at about 1.15 p.m. as he and another deputy served eviction paperwork at a home in the 2200 block of Southwest 78th Street in Oklahoma City. During the course of the eviction, a male subject opened fire, wounding one of the deputies. The second deputy returned fire and attempted to pull the wounded deputy to safety when he was also shot. The man then fled in a pickup truck, pulling a boat on a trailer. Officers from the Oklahoma City Department located the vehicle and began to pursue it. The driver shot at pursuing officers with a semi-automatic rifle during the pursuit. The man drove to the main gate of Tinker Air Force Base, where he was taken into custody. Sergeant Schwartz was transported to a local hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. Sergeant Schwartz was a U.S. Army veteran and had served with the Oklahoma County Sheriff's Office for almost 25 years. He was 58 years old and a military veteran. Sergeant Harold Lee Russell II, Tennessee Highway Patrol, Tennessee, end of watch Tuesday, August 23rd. Sergeant Lee Russell and Detective Matt Blancett of the Marion County Sheriff's Department were killed in a helicopter crash on Etna Mountain in Marion County at about 4 p.m. The Bell 206 helicopter struck high-tension power lines and crashed into a wooded area near mile marker 163 adjacent to I-24 and State Route 134. Sergeant Russell had served with the Tennessee Highway Patrol for 12 years and was assigned to the Special Ops Aviation Unit. He is survived by his wife, son, daughter, parents, brother, and grandmother. He was 35 years old, been with the department for 12 years. Detective Matthew Walker Blancett, Marion County Sheriff's Department, Tennessee, end of watch Tuesday, August 23rd. Detective Matthew Blancett was also killed with Sergeant Lee Russell when the helicopter crashed on Adnett Mountain in Marion County at about 4 p.m. Detective Blancett served with the Marion County Sheriff's Department for 20 years and also served as a Marion County Commissioner. He is survived by his wife and two sons. He was 40 years old, been with the department 20 years. Constable Deborah Martinez Garibay, Pima County Constable's Office, Arizona, end of watch Tuesday, August 25th. Constable Deborah Martinez Garibay was shot and killed while serving an eviction notice at 3493 East Lynn Road in Tucson at 11.15 a.m. Constable Martinez Garibay and the apartment manager were shot when they knocked on the door to serve eviction papers. Constable Martinez Garibay was shot inside the apartment and the apartment manager was found lying in the courtyard. The subject then went to the neighbor's apartment where he shot and killed the neighbor before committing suicide in the neighbor's apartment. Constable Martinez Garibay was a United States Army veteran and had served as a constable for Precinct 8 for over five months. She is survived by her husband, daughter, parents, two sisters, and brother. She is 43 years old, been with the department for five months and one week, and a military veteran. We also pay tribute to all canine officers killed in the line of duty. We will now read the names of the following canine officers who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. Canine Blue, Niceville Police Department, Florida, end of watch Sunday, August 7th. Canine Blue died from injuries sustained when his handler was involved in a vehicle crash on Highway 85 south of State Road 123 at 5.55 p.m. Canine Blue and his handler were traveling south in their police pickup truck when a van switched lanes and crashed in the rear of their truck. The truck overturned and came to a stop on the south shoulder of the highway. The officer suffered serious but non-life-threatening injuries. The driver of the van was treated for minor injuries. Canine Blue succumbed to his injuries and was escorted to the Blue Water Bay Animal Hospital by the Okaloosa County Sheriff's Office. Canine Blue has served with the Niceville Police Department for five years. He was a Belgian Malinois, male, seven years old, and been with the department for five years. Canine Haynes, Kern County Sheriff's Office, California. End of watch Thursday, August 18th. K9 Haynes died after going into a medical distress immediately following the search 
for a shooting suspect in the area of Panama Road and Habacker Road in Lamont. K-9 Haynes was deployed to search the area after two suspects were reported to have gone into a vineyard across the street from the shooting scene at about 11.10 a.m. K-9 Haynes searched the area in temperatures well above 100 degrees for about 15 minutes before one of the suspects was observed and ran from the officers. The man was taken into custody by deputies a short time later. Shortly after the search, K-9 Haynes began showing symptoms of heat stroke and was rushed to an emergency animal hospital. He passed away a short time later. K-9 Haynes had served with the Kern County Sheriff's Office for one and a half years. He was a Belgian Malinois, male, three years old, tour of duty, one year, six months. K-9 Axel, Charleston Police Department, West Virginia, end of watch Saturday, August 27th. K-9 Axel was shot and killed while attempting an apprehension of a stabbing suspect. The Charleston Police Department was notified that a man wanted on a felony warrant was at the 100 block of East Point Drive. When they arrived, the suspect fled into the woods behind the house. When K-9 Axel apprehended him, the suspect shot at the officers. K-9 Axel was hit with a bullet, saving his partners and another officer's lives. Officers returned fire, killing the suspect. K-9 Axel had served with the Charleston Police Department for almost one year. Unknown breed, male, tour of duty, 11 months, 3 weeks. Always Responding pays tribute to all first responders who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. Here now is a firefighter's poem. A fireman knocked at the heavenly gate. His face was scarred and old. He stood before the man of fate for admission to the fold. What have you done, St. Peter said, to gain admission here? I've been a firefighter, sir, he said, for many, many years. The pearly gates swung open wide as St. Peter touched the bell. Come in and choose your heart, my son. You've seen your share of hell. We'll now read the names of those brave firefighters who lost their lives in the line of duty. Firefighter fatalities in the United States currently set at 70. Here are the names of the latest to pay the ultimate sacrifice. Colin Hagen, Wildland Firefighter, BLM, Craig Interagency Hotshot Crew, Craig, Colorado. On Wednesday, August 10th, Wildland Firefighter Colin Hagen was fighting the Big Swamp Wildfire near Oak Ridge, Oregon, when he was struck by a fallen tree. Despite efforts from EMS personnel, Wildland Firefighter Hagen passed away from the injuries he sustained in the accident. End of watch, August 10th, Colin was 27 years old. David Pleasant, driver, Memphis Fire Department, Memphis, Tennessee. On Wednesday, August 10th, four firefighters were responding to a residential fire when the driver of a pickup truck apparently ran a red light, hitting the fire apparatus and causing it to roll on its side. All four firefighters were transported to the Regional One Health Trauma Center. Driver David Pleasant passed away from the injuries he sustained in the crash. The other three firefighters had been treated and released. The driver of the pickup truck was also transported to the hospital. Investigation into the incident is ongoing. End of watch, August 10th. David was 59 years old. Michael Fisher, Captain, Island Park Fire Department, Island Park, New York. On Sunday, August 14th, Captain Michael Fisher had participated in a morning training event, then rode on an engine company to where firefighters were holding a fundraiser. Arriving at the event, Captain Fisher went into the bathroom to wash up, then returned to the dining area when he suffered an apparent heart attack. EMS personnel at the scene performed life-saving measures but were unsuccessful. Captain Fisher was pronounced deceased at the scene. End of watch, August 14th. Michael was 38 years old. Logan Taylor, firefighter, Oregon Department of Forestry, Salem, Oregon. On August 18th, shortly after 4 p.m., dispatchers received information regarding firefighter Logan Taylor, who was critically injured after being struck by a tree on the Rum Creek Fire located north of Galice, Oregon. Jackson County Sheriff's Office Search and Rescue immediately deployed a helicopter and personnel to the fire. 
Upon their arrival, Taylor was airlifted out of the mountainous terrain to an awaiting Mercy Flights helicopter, which then transported him to Asante Rogue Regional Medical Center. Despite life-saving efforts, however, Taylor passed away from the injuries he sustained. Taylor was the operator of Sasquatch Reforestation, a company that contracted with the Oregon Department of Forestry. End of watch, August 18th. Logan was 25 years old. Always Responding will continue to pay tribute each and every episode to all the brave men and women who pay the ultimate sacrifice so that they are never forgotten. Be sure to log on to our website at www.alwaysrespondingpodcast.com. Click on the Tribute tab, and there you can honor these fallen heroes yourself by leaving a message on their page. We owe each and every one of these fallen heroes our gratitude and respect, and we pray for their families each and every day. Godspeed, and may they rest in peace. You know, I always say on this show how important it is for you to talk about your stress and, and not to keep it bottled up, and how this profession can eat you alive if you let it. Well, since I'm flying solo today, I, I thought this would be a perfect time for me to open up a little bit and talk about some things I've, I've been struggling with lately. So I recently hit my 20-year mark. Now, most would say that's a great accomplishment, and it is. I, I know it is, and I'm proud of what I've been able to accomplish in a, in a lot of my career, especially being able to make it through 20 years in law enforcement with 13 of those years actually being in patrol. Been through and seen a lot of crap in my career, and I know my wife has endured a ton of stressful nights as well. So lately, I've, I've you know, I found myself feeling more stressed than usual. My sleep well, actually, their lack of really sucks. I find myself short-tempered with my co-workers. Hell, the other night, I had a major blow-up on my squad. Called them pretty much everything in the book that I could think of. I'm not sure if it's because I'm getting close to retirement or if it's due to the years of stress and trauma on my, my mind and body that's having these negative effects on me. You know, I felt this way once before. Years ago, I was on a squad that was extremely degrading on me personally and made it very difficult to go to work each day. And I transferred off that squad and things turned around. So I'm not sure if it's the squad I'm on now that's causing these issues or it's something else, maybe something more. Like we always say on the podcast, it's very important to talk to someone about the issues you're having. And I mean, lucky for me, I've got a fantastic and great support system at home. And you know, my wife is my rock. She constantly tells me to just retire. I don't know, maybe when I hit my 20 year, I mean, I'm 20 years now, but I actually hit my 20-year commission time in January. So I don't know, maybe maybe then seriously start thinking about retirement. Those out there listening, you got some advice, especially some of the senior guys out there that have actually retired already. I always hear that once you retire, that your life changes, wouldn't change a thing once you once you leave the job. And I don't know, maybe it's something I'd need to think about. I don't know, maybe the next couple of months, I'll really start putting more thought to that. I've been doing this, what I'm doing now, for about six years. So I think it's that, I mean, that burnout stage just happens sometimes, so... It's just, you know, it's, it's crazy how quickly this profession can sneak up on you and, and just break you down. I tell you right now, I mean, when I do retire, boy, the stories I got to tell you guys, man, we can really open up and, and discuss some, some crazy stuff then. I'm just kind of keeping it to myself right now. So yeah, we got some stories. So, but listen, I think, you know, thanks for letting me uh, open up a little bit to you there and get some stuff off my chest. And, you know, this is what the show's about, just uh, talking about things. And, you know, it, it happens to every single one of us that uh, there, there's nobody that's, uh, that's free from the stress and this trauma of this job and, and what it can do to you and how it affects you not only mentally, but physically and emotionally. And like I said, my sleep is just all jacked up right now and how I'm able to just be able to push through that. And I mean, like I said, it helps to have that family environment and the friends that I have, you know, we'll get through this, like I said, in a few more years when I retire, boy, the conversations we're going to have then. So, but I thank you guys for, for being here with me and, and I'm here for you guys as well. So um, this is a two-way street and anytime any one of you want to come on this show and want to talk and whatever you want to talk about, 
I'm open to it and I'm ready for the discussion. So I look forward to it. But anyway, I appreciate that. And speaking of talking about things and getting things off your chest, it's time for war stories. And obviously I'm riding, riding solo today because unfortunately Sean's got his stuff and his family he's got to take care of, which I respect completely. And, and I understand he's got all the time in the world to take care of that and seats ready for him to come back when he's, when he's ready to, to do that. So we're going to do war stories today. And since I'm solo, I'm going to give you one of mine again. And 20 year career, I should have plenty of war stories. So I'm going to go with one of my stories that um, occurred back when I first started, back when I was a, a boot and new to the department, when I first started in the graveyard shift. So I was assigned to respond to a mobile home to check the welfare of the sister of the PR or the person reporting. And the caller believed that her sister, who happened to be bedridden, was being abused by her husband. So I arrived at this trailer alone because no other unit had assigned themselves to my call. And as soon as I arrived, the husband was standing outside to meet me. I advised him that I was there to check on the female and he was very polite and accommodating. Very nice guy. And he invited me inside the trailer where I made contact with his elderly father, who was also in the, in the trailer, and his wife, who was in fact completely bedridden in the back bedroom. Sleep, you know, she's up in her bed. I went inside the very, very small trailer alone with the male suspect, his elderly father and the female who was bedridden. So the male stated he knew exactly why I was there. He said that his wife's sister doesn't like him and she's always calling and saying that he's abusing his sister or her sister and it's always trying to get him in trouble. He denied any abuse, any battery, and he basically claimed everything was code four, which is a, a way of saying everything was fine. So I'm there talking to them for a few minutes still, no back, nobody's assigned to the call. I'm doing this all solo as a, a rookie officer. I'm in this bedroom, two males, the female setting up the scene and the male turns to walk out of the bedroom. So I'm thinking, okay, we're fine. We're just, I'm getting ready to leave. So as he turns his back towards me and the female, I turn around and I look over the female and she's in the bed and I mouth at her. Are you okay? Thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. We're, we're good. So as I say this, she looks me dead in the eyes, starts to shake her head. No. And then mouths as she's looking at me, the word no. Now, to remind you, I'm completely by myself. Nobody's coming. I'm in this little small bedroom by myself with this guy and his dad and his female. I'm thinking everything's fine at this point. She mouths the word no with this look of fear of the world in her eyes. Hair on my back of my neck completely stands up. I'm like, oh my Lord. I'm thinking this is the end of the world here. What's going on? So I'm like, what do I do? Now I turn around. I look at the guy who, mind you, is wearing super tight pants and no shirt, right? So I'm like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? How do I get out of this? So the only thing I can think of is I say, um, sir, before we leave, do you mind if I check to make sure you have no weapons? He's like, yeah, sure. Why not? So I put him, stand him up in front of the dresser that's, standing, that's in the bedroom. I turn him around. I have his hands pulled behind his back, his palms together, a pat down position. I grab his hands. And as best I can do, I'm trying to undo my Velcro handcuff case, which in that room at that time sounded like a live band coming through, uh, making the most noise you can make. Because of course, I can't be quiet at that moment. So I'm able to get my Velcro released, grab my handcuffs and slap the cuffs on as quickly as I possibly can before he figures out what in the world's going on. I cuff him. Of course, as soon as the cuffs go on, he is just belligerent, mad, cussing me out. Like, what in the bleep are you doing? What the heck? You know, starts calling me every name in the book. I'm like, listen, I, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. Your wife's saying that maybe there's something else going on here. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. He's cussing me out, calling me every name in the book, saying he's going to kick my blank, blank, blank. And he let me cuff him up. And I'm like, okay, sure, I, sir, I appreciate you. Let me do that. 
thank you. I, I really, I don't, you know, doesn't need to go sideways here. I'm trying to call for a backup. There's nobody available. Nobody's coming. I'm still there by myself. I'm like, hey, listen, this is getting kind of out of hand. I need a backup unit here. The guy's still cussing me out. The old man is kind of, thank goodness he was pretty much non-existent. I mean, he was an older guy and could have probably jumped in if he wanted to, but he chose not to, which worked in my benefit. So I'm able to get the guy out of the bedroom, get him set down on a, on a chair in the, in the living room. He's still belligerent. I'm going to kick your bleep, bleep, bleep. And I'm like, listen, I'm just trying to make this thing safe until I figure out what's going on, until I get a, another unit here. I think it was probably about another 15, 20 minutes later, after I took him into custody, my backup unit shows up. The whole time he's cussing me out, telling me he's going to kick my you-know-what, and I let he let me get him in custody, and I'm like, okay, I appreciate that. Thank you. So finally, the unit gets there. I tell them what's going on. They take control of him. I go back in the bedroom thinking she's going to tell me that he beats her and he's been doing this stuff for years, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, hey, what's going on? You shook your head no, and I asked you if you're okay. She's like, yeah, he's just mean to me. <laughs> I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, he's just, he just mean to me. I, I don't like how he, he talks to me. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I said, I had to go through all this just because your husband's mean to you? She's like, yeah. I was like, does, does he beat you? Is he, you know, do anything that's like, we're not going to arrest him? No, no, he's just mean to me. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I went through all this because your husband's mean to me. You shook your head and gave me the fear of God in your eyes. When I asked you if you're okay, you're like mouthing no, like it's the end of the world. And he's just being mean to you. So needless to say, well, if you would have seen the look she gave me and the way she mouthed the word no, when I asked if she was okay, then you would know this was a call that kickstarted my high level of stress for the remainder of my career. That call could have turned out completely different for sure. Well, that's my war story for this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to stop by our website, www.alwaysrespondingpodcast.com. Click on the Tribute tab, and there you can honor the recent fallen first responders that were read from this episode. There's also the Resource tab on the website. There you can find numerous resources available for all first responders and their families. There are so many organizations out there that are ready and willing to help us. All it takes is a phone call or an email. Again, they're on our website in the Resource tab at www.alwaysrespondingpodcast.com alwaysrespondingpodcast.com. Thank you all for joining us on another episode of Always Responding. We truly appreciate every one of you for your continued support. We hope everyone has a long, safe, and healthy career. For my good friend, Sean, this is KB with Always Responding saying thank you. And remember, as they would always say in the 80s cop show, let's all be safe out there. Shots fired at 4.15 a.m.